if people could just internalize that a score doesn't define them and really just take it down to the shot level and just be like, how close am I getting to creating the things that I want to create and work towards getting to a place where they got a bit more of a tight dispersion between the things they see in their head and the things they see in the real world. That's when you really start to feel in control of the game and in control of your life. And welcome back. Welcome aboard another Park Train. I'm one of your co-hosts, Evan Singer. I got my other co-host, Matt Cermak, with me. What's up, Ev? We just had one hell of a ride with a guy you played high school golf against, Roger Steele himself. But before we get to that, if your golf game's off the rails, sick riding the struggle bus, you've come to the right place. The part train helps frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again on and off the course, because if you can learn to smile through bad golf, trust me, you can smile through anything. The part train podcast unpacks the mental game. With PJ Torpos, best-selling author, CEO, sports psychologist, everyday golfers like you and me and more, like Roger Steele, and more to make the hardest game in the world feel easy and help you finally get back on track. This episode of The Part Train, like every episode of The Part Train, is presented by Roback Activewear. Uh-huh. And, sir, we've been talking up the shorts. I was looking at the shorts reviews on mm-hmm. Roback.com. Here's one. Love the the most comfortable shorts I've ever worn. From Michael, said, perfection, enough said. I just want people to know these shorts, it's hot. Okay. These shorts are incredible. They're stretchy and you can really wear them for any occasion. Not only comfortable, the colors are great. They don't wrinkle either, which is great. Here's the other crazy thing. I've worn some other similar types of shorts that just like you're constantly taking a hairdryer to them. You know, you're throwing them in the dryer. Right. So here's the funny thing. And then I'll, we'll get to this episode. I used to not dry my Lululemons. Because, you know, the clothes you care the most about, usually you don't dry, put it in the dryer. Lately, I've been throwing those bitches in the dryer because I'm like, well, I don't really give a shit about them. All the shorts I care about are my rowback shorts. So that really says something. It's the same thing rowback shorts. I wear bird dogs. Same thing. I mean, they're better. They're totally better. It's a better, it's something about the material and the quality. And I'm not just saying that, guys. Rowback tells us, we hear behind the curtain, they don't release stuff until they perfect it against the leader in the industry. And uh, I can't wait to see their joggers. I think their joggers are coming Ugh. in the fall. That's going to be fun. So go to roback.com, enter the code train, get 15% off. If you've already entered the code, get an spcglobal.net email, do whatever you need to do. Earthlink, was Earthlink is good too. <laughs> Yahoo. I got an email from Yahoo. They said, if you don't claim this email, we're getting rid of it. Well, I'm so back maybe... on Yahoo with fantasy now. So folks, you know. Yeah, same. Use it. <laughs> yeah. So maybe I need to reclaim or create a new Yahoo. Uh, so I can get that discount again. So rowback.com, enter the code train, 15% off. Okay. Roger Steele. Yeah. What an episode this was. He yeah, actually, was I, I, you could really tell, and we talked about it off air after, he was really excited to be able to unpack his own game. Because look, I say it in the episode, but I, I want people to really know this. Roger played in high school against you many yeah. times. Our rival schools high schools. Yeah. And he quit the game after high school. Didn't touch a club for seven years. So imagine a guy that's a scratch player now to go from not touching a club to seven years to being a scratch player and loving the game, finding peace in it, fulfillment. And that's what he does now. So yeah, his lessons and the things he says were so valuable today. And I think he was really excited to be able to talk about it. Oh, for sure. I mean, we played a ton together. We went to the same coach, really old friends. We've kind of stayed in touch seeing each other throughout the years. He was a really good player in high school. He tries to say he wasn't. He was. I fell out of love with the game. Fell back in love. And but he talks about his ups and downs. Yeah. You know, you get into long driving, but 
it wasn't all sunshine and roses just because he could hit it long. And we really get into that. And I think that was really interesting, but yeah, he said he you know, started shooting in the nineties yeah. after long driving. So he really had to find his way back. That's another story is going from shooting in the nineties to becoming a scratch again. Yeah. I mean, for all, I mean, it's incredible to talk about his game and mental side and his short game, but you know, Roger Steele, I mean, he's, this, he's a famous game changer disruptor in the golf world right now. And for all the right reasons, you know? Yeah. And so you see all that with trap golf and hype media and he's, he's, he's sponsored by Callaway, but what a maturation process for him. Right. And we get into that too. So, so cool to see him and there's talk. He and I need to get out back in the course and might do a video play for a little coin and you might come in and there might be some content around. We'll but, see. You know, we'll see. Bring Maybe back we'll... Gil glory days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think there could be some fun content there. So stay tuned for that. And guys, no matter how you're playing, no matter how trash you think you are, no matter where that ball goes, what do they got to do, sir? Just enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride, guys. Take care. All right. Roger Steele, hopping aboard the train. Roger, I got to tell you, before I welcome you officially, we just had our second St. Louis Cardinal on the show last week. And I'm not going to lie. Cermak was a little, a little bitter that we had our second Cardinal before a Chicago Cub. So I had to do it right. I had to bring on a fellow chicago native this week but then i just heard you guys are rivals from high school so i don't know you tell me welcome aboard is this is the rivalry still there is it done what are we thinking here no it's squash man and even then like you know <laughs> back, hey back, back when i was in high school I, I was so trash man like it wasn't much of a rivalry back then either to if we're being honest about it you know matt if you want to tee it up right now i might have some you might have your hands full not trying to get through me i'm wow. just gonna wait this float that out there real quick so we might circle back to that. well we got we got to that we're gonna have to dive into that i mean yeah, i'm gonna leave it open-ended for y'all open-ended <laughs> we talked about it off air but i think the listeners and the faithful passengers on the train deserve to hear what does the cermak name mean in chicago right now well what what was that that you said yeah, off yeah. Air? you know in high school that was like the first family of golf if you was on the west side of chicago playing golf or like the near west suburbs playing golf them Cermax, man, it's just like one after the other. They just kept coming and kept whooping people. And I was like, oh, man. These boys well, I was I was lucky because I was number two, right? So I had Joe yeah. for two years at St. Yeah. Pat's, and I had Mike for two years. Yeah, And then, and then these guys, you know, teeing up with – I mean, look at your team you had, too. Yeah. Connor Weldon, Cooney, yeah. Yeah. Andrew Firth, right? I mean, that was you. I feel like we were all very interesting people. I don't know if we like to be celebrated as golfers. You know what I'm saying? Oh, just, Rogers being modest. Good. You had a good team. Come on. Yeah, yeah. It was solid. It was <laughs> all things considered. All things considered. You know, I found myself in a good spot with some of those guys. Man, so, I wish the content game was was big back then. That would have made a nice little uh, series we could have done. We had some good <laughs> good battles and regionals and yeah. other tournaments and playing at the dunes, lost dunes. That was fun in michigan yeah. but roger you said you were trash then you're not it sounds like you're playing great now but you talk about become less trash at golf yeah what does that mean first of all it's twofold the first part of that is owning the fact that you're not as good as you think you are so like the first part of that is like expectation management on the front end yeah. and the second part of it is like a never-ending journey to improve at the game and at life. You know what I mean? Golf, obviously, a metaphor for, for what we do in the real world. But I think that, like, you know, be less trash is, like, admitting that you have limitations in the game and then, you know, trying to be intentional about actively working your way through those. And that's kind of my message to everybody. 
don't overreact when you hit bad shots as you are trash. But why don't you be mindful about why you hit bad shots and, and try to cure it piece by piece as you can. Yeah, I yeah. thought there was something to it. Evan and I were talking before you jumped on because our motto is enjoy the ride. Yeah. And like helping frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again. And there's such parallels there. Roger, it's funny. We did a video a couple months ago about this experiment we challenged golfers with where when you're standing over the shot, act like you're a pro, act like you've done it before, but go into the next shot in between, feel like an amateur, feel like a first timer mm. where you're almost pleasantly surprised or it wasn't as bad as it could have been. Right. So it's interesting that dichotomy of confidence that you can, but acceptance when you don't. Exactly. Yeah. And it's about like giving yourself room and grace, like as a, you know, as an athlete, as a human being, man, you're not a robot. And, you know, that's something that like, I feel like, you know, even players at the highest level could probably learn from is just understand like you, you are proficient, whatever your skill level is, like you have a certain level of proficiency at this sport, but you are not perfect. Right. And so, you know, that's kind of the, the balance that I think everybody needs to have with everything in life and just get themselves room and grace to, to go out there and be human. It's interesting that Roger brings up a robot, right, term because Dr. Joe Parent, the author of Zen Golf, when we had him on the show, he brought up this fact that I didn't know that Iron Byron, mm -hmm. you know, that classic robot that all the manufacturers show. I know you're a Callaway guy. He has a dispersion pattern. Iron Byron. Iron Byron a got a pattern. dispersion pattern. He's got a dispersion pattern. Yeah. So get this. When Iron Byron hits, uh, let's say he's hitting six irons, okay? Right. The ball doesn't land in the same mark every time. Even the robots got a dispersion pattern. So I like to remind myself of that sometimes. But we're all human. It's a sport that the ego loves and hates. So it's a constant practice and reminder to give yourself that grace, right? 100%, man. 100%. Well, Roger, you said your game's really good right now. I didn't say really good. You're putting words in my mouth. All right. No, back your your back game's on. always been good, but what you just kind of talked about when you were kind of defining, you know, be less trash and being humble and finding grace and keeping your emotions in check is you playing good golf at this point in your life, just a maturity. Is it, was it a change in attitude? I, I'm curious to hear you because you've always had talent. You've been playing a long time and working hard for a long time. It was layered, man. And, you know, like to, to be transparent with you, man, I know we, we don't really get to unpack this as much, but uh, but like when I was in high school, I didn't really enjoy golf, you know? Yeah. It was something that my dad was very interested in and, you know, he saw it as an opportunity for me to, you know, exist in different spaces. And so he was very passionate about that for me. And because of that, I, I just felt like there was a disconnect between me and progressing in the game when I was younger. You know what I mean? I didn't understand like how the game was supposed to be played. I didn't really understand how my body worked at the time. You know, I was changing a lot, trying to do a lot of different things. And so golf was very frustrating, like for as frustrating as it was and difficult as it was, me not progressing the way that I wanted to, it gave me a very like bad taste in my mouth with the game, you know? And I found myself, you know, thinking back to like them high school days, I was like, it's crazy that I was like indifferent and highly emotional about it at the same time. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? I wasn't as emotionally invested in it as I, you know, probably should have been at the time. But I also was like very emotional that I wasn't putting up the scores that I wanted to or like that my peers would do, you know. And, you know, that's that was my father. Like, you know, he was a very competitive dude. And like, you know, we would see people like y'all, you know, your family show up. And, you know, I even tried to, you know, go out to John Reese to the same coach that you went to, you know, for a while. Yeah. And he was kind of. He was trying to help us out. 
I don't know. I just I couldn't connect with it, man. I couldn't find that connection in my youth with the sport, you know, from a gameplay perspective, from a culture perspective. I was like trying to find it. And I think that not until I went to college, I didn't touch a golf club after high school. So like after we finished, I think region was my senior year, or like section was my senior year, did I didn't go down to state. I was just like, I'm done with this. Like finally, you know what I mean? It was like, mm-hmm. it was almost like a weight off of my back to be, to have that chapter in my life done. And I go down to college and all we did in college was play basketball. You know what I mean? And it was just, it, it was like a relief for me to, to put it behind me. But I do think that when I graduated, the maturity that I experienced coming into the real world and understanding, you know, what it would take for me to exist happily in the real world, those kind of things and those kind of thoughts, when I started to get more introspective and start to think about how I needed to improve myself, when I did organically reconnect with the game, it just like opened up this world of like parallels for me. You know what I mean? So I think a lot of the things for me was like maturity, you know? And then I started to understand the art of golf, like how, you know, every shot that I hit was an opportunity to create something. Just like every day you alive is like an opportunity for you to, to, to do something, to accomplish something. I started to see all of these subtle parallels. And, and I was like, man, asking myself over a shot, like what kind of day we about to have? You know what I mean? Like, a good day, we're going to go big today. Or is it going to be like a safe day? We're just trying to get it in the house so we can go to sleep early. Or like, you know what I mean? So yeah. you ask yourself some type of things. And it was like, man, it was so fun. Uh, to just like from shot to shot, pick who you wanted to be, like, like recreate yourself from like shot to shot. You know what I mean? Mm. And uh, and I and I just found like this very, very like zen, peaceful, enlightening place where golf was like the only spot where I could exist by myself all day and like not have a care in the world. You know what I mean? Like you could yeah. leave me on the range yeah. all day. Totally. I wish I had that as a kid, man. But I mean, but even I'm glad that I found it even now, though. I think back to like, man, if I never got got back into this game, like what would I be doing with my life? You know, and that, that scares me a lot, you know. Roger, let me ask you on that point. I've noticed that golf is kind of the opposite of working out in the sense where I've noticed that when you don't feel like working out, but you do it, you feel awesome after. Yeah. Like you, I've never felt bad that I actually did the workout. But yeah. then I realized if I don't feel like playing golf yeah. and I do, it never works out. And I'm yeah. like, why did I go play? I knew I didn't feel like it. My body was really tired. Or why do you think that is? Do you think it's just because it it requires all of us? It requires that focus? Yeah, I think that like, you know, golf is one of them things that like demands your intention. When I've played some of the best golf, I've just been like extremely focused on like what I wanted the outcome to look like in a very detailed way. Yeah. And I think that if you're not willing to attempt to do things in, in the detailed way. It's like the, the possibility for positive outcomes are like, you know, proportionally impacted by your level of, you know, uh, commitment to, to the outcome, you know? And if you're not showing up in the right space, you know, like if you arguing with your girlfriend, if you like, you know, if you got heavy stuff going on and you're trying to do something at a, at a high level with the gang, uh, those things just don't, they don't translate well because it just, it does require a, a deep level of intentionality and like, and the rhythm as well. You know what I mean? Like yeah. people talk about that all the time, but the best golf I play, I'm walking, I'm in rhythm. It's like a constant, you know, like a, a constant tempo, like the spacing between the groups is good. You know what I mean? It's just like all of these things that allow you to kind of flow through the journey seamlessly. Your mindset is, you know, like relaxed. You got a good cadence to talk and focus and socializing and focus and, 
I just believe that like you need to be in a decent rhythm in the real world to come into golf and experience it at a, at a high level. I mean, that's what we talk a lot about the parallels between golf and your life. And it's so hard to do when you're just not in a good place, whether you're not that day, bad day on the job, bad day with your, your family, but Roger. Okay. So we kind of talked about high school there kind of getting reengaged in the game post-college, but I remember you were doing long drive competitions yeah, and you were getting dialed in and locked in and, and really focusing on that. I'm curious about that experience. I think I remember you got hurt. You had to stop doing it. Yeah. Yeah. That but, was a while. But what did that preparation teach you about your game, your mind? Talk about all that. Man, just the capabilities of the human body, dog. You know, going to college, like I had spent a lot of time like on my body in college. You know, we were, we played a lot of basketball, but I also had gotten in the gym. I had got like a lot physically stronger in a lot of different ways. You know, it wasn't just all like me here lifting. Like I, I had experimented with yoga and all of these other different things. So when I came out and I picked the game back up, like, man, I was hitting the ball. Like, I was compressing it good. You know what I mean? Which is, I mean, I wasn't even used to that in high school, you know, the way that I was hitting the ball when I came, when I came back to the game. And I was like, man, you know, and I, and I was playing with guys and like, I pick up golf. So I, I put down golf in 2006 and then that's when I graduated. So, you know, fall of 2000 or like, no, let's say fall of 2005 or something like that. Like I stopped playing golf. And I don't touch another golf club again until 2012. Not even one round? Bro, I didn't take my clubs down to school. You know what? My dad might have brought my clubs down one time. And I played with, with a kid sure. down there that went to Bishop McNamara, who was at yeah. who was at, the conference. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he he was like, let's go play golf. So I'm like, all right, whatever. You know what I mean? So my That's dad it. my dad came down, brought my clubs one time, and I just left him in his truck. He drove him back to Chicago. But man, so like when I'm starting hitting the ball again, like I'm scorching it and then I'm probably shooting like, you know, I'm probably like a five or a six at this point. You know what I mean? I'm shooting like high 70s, high mid 70s, low 80s, stuff like that. But I'm solid. You know, my short game, not where it needs to be, but it's coming back to me kind of quickly. I started getting so infatuated with distance, you know, like all of us do. And then I had so many people that were playing with me like, Raj, man, like, I, like you, you hit the ball, like really? Like really far, man, you should like try it out. And so then I just started doing some digging. And then I was looking at like ball speed numbers and like from long drive to like where I was. And this, you know, I'm still very young and youthful at the time. So I'm like, man, like what would it take for me to jump from like, you know, 183 to like 200? That's a big jump. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. At the time, my backswing was like a lot shorter. So then I started like, you know, working on, thoracic rotation and hip mobility and stuff and like I was just like man how long could I get my swing first of all you know and so then I created this like very long swing with a stock driver I think I was playing Titus at the time with a stock driver I was able to get up to like 195 196 ball speed mm. and so then I was like okay well let me see if I get this this long driver like what you know what could I do with that and so then that's when I picked up a, you know got my Callaway they had the XR at the time and I picked that up and it was like a little bit of a learning curve right there. And then that's when I finally broke 200. But then, you know, so I was like, man, what, a, what, a, like, what speed training is there out there? And so then I started doing a bunch of speed training. And then, you know, with the length of the swing, length of the club and then the overspeed training, that's when I got up to around like 210, you know, ball speed. Jeez. And because I was like, uh, like I was a decent ball striker, I was, my smash was pretty decent. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, like too, too much variability across the face. 
And so then somebody was like, man, you know, it's a it's a world long drive finals down in Thackerville in like 30 days. You could probably sign up for it and go down there and see what happened. And I'm like, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm a civil engineer at the time. Like, I don't care. And I, I found a place that had track man in Chicago that I would, I would pop in and out of. I did that for, I tried to prepare with them for, you know, like a few weeks and then went down there. And I didn't make it that far in the competition, but the day that I hit, I hit the second longest drive of the day, like competition wide. Like How far? At 438. 438. 438. But the, so real quick, Roger, <laughs> if you're out, at 210. But check this out though. So look, okay. I, we got the round one and it's double elimination. So round one, I hit one like 416. I get through the first round. He won 414 in the second round. They were calling out the numbers. Like if you never did long drive before, when you hit one, they watch your ball. They say ball landed. The guy down there, walkie talkies, the number back to you. So like I'm listening and all I got to do is be two of the four guys on the grid. Right. So he walkie talkies back to me and at 417 in the last round, I was like the top dog by a long shot. So then he said 414 and I, in my head, I'm like, oh, I'm good. Like, you know what I mean? Like I was kind of listening to other people's numbers. Like I'm 414 and then I kind of like, you know, flared a couple of them or whatever, but I thought I was fine for that round. And then I wound up losing that round. And so then the third round, when I came back, that's when I hit one 438. And then the next couple rounds, I was just hitting the ball everywhere. Like it just, it was like crazy. I had never seen the ball fly like that. Mm -hmm. And then I walk off the stage and my driver cracked. My driver was split. And I was like, damn, you know, oh, maybe, maybe that's the thing that kept me from, you know, from being great. The Cermak curse, you know? <laughs> yeah, I've hit it 438 a few times, actually. But <laughs> most don't believe that. Cart path. <laughs> Cart path, Raj. Cart path. So, all right, quite, it was quite a journey there. But, like, you really taught yourself about your body and then your game. And you're like, okay, if I can't do this forever, though. I've learned a new way to play the game, too. So, real quick, though, how do yeah. you then – because you're – Long drive is a totally different thing. We had Maurice Allen on the show a couple years ago. Yeah, yeah. It's a totally different thing, right? Yeah, you want you got to get it in to count, but you're okay with it going left and right. You just want to get your number and hopefully you connect on one. Yeah. What was it like giving that up and then picking up the game where precision is more important? Did you dial it back? Did you have moments where you could dial it up? What was that like mentally? You know, like outside of the injuries that I experienced trying to like stay at that swing speed and keep pushing, like my game, like I, I couldn't break 90 once I started doing long drives. It didn't really matter what club I hit off of the tee. Like you losing like four tee balls, like you 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 hitting four balls OB around, like at a yeah. minimum. Flying greens, like distance control is a problem because it's just like an impact. Everything was just happening so fast. It was just like it was just like snapping at the bottom, you know. So I didn't enjoy, got back into a place where I couldn't enjoy the game. And I was thinking about the longevity, like, man, what do I really like love this game for? Like, I enjoy when people invite me to play golf because, you know, it, I'm, I'm a good golfer and we having a good time. Like, that's what, that's the space that I was kind of getting into before this and going out there and shooting 90s, like, it's not the right move, you know, for, for the, the way that I want to experience the game. And so, yeah, I just, I kind of made like a very intentional effort to like relearn what my like core fundamentals were I kept the swing length kind of stayed a little bit longer than it was before I never like shortened it back up and then eventually like with the speed thing if you're not training speed like it, it eventually norm it it normalizes itself anyway yeah Got so it. It just it all kind of like slowed down I started hitting a lot more wedges and like moving slower intentionally and still to this day 
like as soon as my swing tempo gets off, I swing like one mile per hour. The slower I can move, the better. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Let me ask you, because as I was preparing for today, I felt like from everything that I watched and read and knew about you, you seem to really love the fight. Mm-hmm. Like I know your dog, you've said was a fighter. You love Sergio Garcia because of you could really feel his internal fight. Yeah. I want to talk about that for a second. Do you think you have to have a little fight inside to get the best out of your golf game? Talk about the power of having a little fight. Again, just bringing it back to a metaphor for life. One of the most impactful pieces of content that I've seen in recent history was that Last Dance documentary. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Remember how like... Remember how Jordan was able to just like internalize things in a way that like fueled him forward. Yeah. And it was like crazy validation hearing him do that, even though that sounded very petty. But all of the strides that I've made in life have come on the back of people like telling me that things couldn't happen this way. They couldn't be done this way or whatever the case. You know what I mean? And so I've always admired being in like these underdog situations. And I think that I do actively look for ways to put myself there so that I can get the most out of myself. You know what I mean? Sometimes I feel like that, you know, works in my disadvantage because it manifests itself in different ways, like procrastination or like if I'm playing in a, in a competitive event, like I tend to get off to slow starts and you know what I mean? And, and all of these different things. And it's weird, but I just enjoy like having to fight really hard to get things done. That's when I feel like I get the most out of myself and the most out of my golf game. I remember playing in this this city amateur tournament every year. They got it at Jackson Park. Matt, yeah. you should play in that. You should play in that one year, man. I think Joe's playing that. That's a good one. Yeah, it's a fun. It's fun. Jackson Park. It's only like fifty six hundred yeah. yards. Fifty six hundred yards, and he hits it four hundred yards. So he wants me to play it. But you know, I'll chip and putt. I'll chip and putt. You know. <laughs> Hey, but no, but it's like, but there's like the big event, like as far as inner city munis in uh in Chicago. And I was playing in that. And it's like to win that tournament is just like bragging rights for the it's glory. You know, it's <laughs> glory, bro. It's like all that for, that's that's our major right there, you know. And so uh and I had this me and this guy, man, I was playing really well this one year, and me and this guy in the final group, and it's really just me and him at the end. And man, he goes up like five shots on me, like through the front nine. And uh and, you know, I'm just kind of like in my own head about it. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm hitting these shots that I haven't seen in the first two days. And, you know, it's just like weighing down on me. And so then a guy, like we're on like the 13th hole, a guy that's walking down 14 comes over and asks, like, how's it going over there? And then I see the dude look back at me and then say that like, he like do the, you know, the, the hands across the neck saying I'm dead. And I don't know what it was about seeing that though, dog, but it was just like, man, I go birdie, 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 par birdie. And then get us into a playoff. And then it's just like, you know, I I lose in the playoff, but whatever. That's not the point. But it's just the fact that like. Or under on the last five. Something clicked, right? Or it was. Just, yeah. But I just, I do feel like if you can find ways to put chips on your shoulders, like mm-hmm. you generally tend to get a better outcome. And I do enjoy trying to prove things to myself, you know, day in and day out you know, shot by shot. I think that that's, you know, how you get the most out of out of the golf experience because you're always testing your limitations, you know? Well, I, I think that's great, especially for our listeners, Roger. It's like, how do you stay motivated out there? You know, we heard the term grind a lot. How do you grind it out? Whatever that means, but it's just, we're going to always have bad holes or we may lose our focus, but how do we, how do we get it back or how do we fix it on the fly or how do we accept it? 
I mean, yeah. and that's for you talking about, sometimes you have to create certain mindsets or find yeah. little ways to yeah. keep Narratives. you going. I'm not going to beat myself up over like the outcome. If the outcome isn't what I want it to be, I'm not really as outcome focused, but I do think that, you know, finding ways to challenge yourself to get super intentional about what you want to happen. And I also think that like, that's kind of the limitation that I see with a lot of amateur golfers and even myself at times. Like when I stop challenging myself to be intentional about what I'm trying to create, that's when I create like garbage. You know what I mean? You know, the ways that I find that I'm able to be the most intentional is like when I'm betting, when I'm gambling, if I'm playing in competitive events. And I think a lot of people have to get over the fear of like trying to do something and failing like miserably. You know what I mean? Like, cause it's uncomfortable, right? Like, like I know if I'm on the range and I'm hitting these slices, like I have to figure out a way to be intentional about telling myself I want to hit a straight ball or I want to turn that into a fade or I want to, you know, turn that into a draw or whatever. Like, it's just like a certain level of intention that you have to go into that with. And I think people are so uncomfortable with the, the failure component of not achieving what they want to achieve that they allow themselves to like exist in misery. You know what I mean? Because it's, it's an uncomfortable thing to try and lose over and over again. But I think that I've been lucky enough to find peace with that, you know, like. Well, I love Ev. I mean, what Roger's saying about creating, I mean. Yeah, I, create, I connect with that a lot. You know, creating shot, like, and you're, and you're having a bad warm up. A lot of people just get down and think, oh my God, this is going to be a bad day today. Panic, Instead of like, oh my right? God, what's Roger? It's like, what's my opportunity? Yeah, I might just have to have some fun with my swing today. You know, I might have to hit knockdowns. Well, you know, it's that's, interesting. It's great attitude. All right, we're going to take a quick break here from another favorite sponsor and we'll get you right back to the show. Guys, I am struggling here. I'm struggling to make a decision. I've got so many good belts from Roostas that when I've got these big, important rounds coming up, it's hard to decide which one to wear. I've got the navy and white. I've got the black and white. I've got a blue and white. I've got multicolor. One of our listeners got us onto Cypress for our mini moon. And you know that having a Roostas belt to elevate every part of my outfit shows that you're a man of style, a man of detail. And Roosta's belts is the best stretch woven belt I've ever worn. And the bonus, they've got a ton of colors that are based in college football spirit. So if you're a big college football fan, get yourself a belt that you could wear tailgate, watching the game and at the round before the big game. So shop Roosta's, that's R-O-O-S-T-A-S.com. Enter the code train, get 15% off and free shipping. Get yourself a belt for the college football days, but also important golf rounds and just spruce your outfit up to the level that you deserve. All right, guys, let's get back to the show. It's interesting how, like just on Sunday I played, I was playing a little nine hole in, in St. Louis with my dad. And, you know, I got my member guests on Wednesday. So I'm like, you know, I'm feeling good about things. I haven't been seeing the right miss as much. I'm liking my draw. First hole, the range was closed. So, you know, little cold, no warm up. I lose two balls into the hazard right. And I watched my ego. My ego panicked. I thought you figured that out. Are you actually as ready for the member guests as you thought? Maybe you don't have it figured out. Oh, no. You know, second hole, I made eagle. Right. And I watched that same ego thinking, you got it. Right. <laughs> so I think that's the tough part is realizing that a miss a bad miss, a bad hole, really 99.9% .9 of the time is just us getting in our own way. Yeah. And then learning how to get out of our way versus think we lost our game. 
right. and tie our identity to each shot. That's the challenging thing. And that's been really challenging for me too, because I'm playing with guys who are much better than me, handicap wise. So not losing self-confidence, I think is my biggest journey really in life and golf as I play, especially in competitive events. Exactly. And I think that like, you know, I, I went to school and I studied civil engineering and I, you know, the thing that I took, you know, like refuge in and the thing that I take refuge in when, when things are going to rise, the fact that, you know, golf is just like applied physics, right? So it's a reason, there's a physical reason everything is happening that has nothing to do with my emotions. There's literally something physical that's occurring through this golf swing that's creating that outcome. And because I know that it's like a real thing and not an imaginary thing, I know that I can fix it, you know, because I've hit great shots, like, you know, so many great shots over the years or, you know, over the course of the round or whatever the case, I know that whatever bad has happened is like fixable because my playing history showed me that when I hit a bad shot, like I just be feeling like now I'm real good at getting punched in the face. Even if it happened over the course of a whole round, I just know that like, yo, there's something physical that's causing this. Like there's a timing thing, it's a balance thing. And now I have an opportunity to go out and figure out what that is to like get us back towards the center of whatever it is. But I just feel like you have to detach yourself, your ego and your self-esteem from outcomes on the golf course. Like that's something that I won't do anymore. Like if I lose money, if I lose big, if I get wiped, like it's not me. It's just the way that I presented myself today. And I'm at peace with the fact that I'm going to have more opportunities to present myself in a better light in the near future, in the very near future. And I'm also confident that I'm a better player because I haven't gone through this if I internalize it the right way. You know what I mean? So that's yeah. the maturity, right? Roger, you talked yeah, about the maturity, bro. That's the maturity, dog. Yeah. yeah. Like, and that's why, you know, keep golf as a kid is just like, I feel like it's so hard and I understand why they're so hot headed and you know, why retention is kind of hard with the sport because Without that perspective, you can't really get what you need to get out of the game. You can't love it the right way if your mindset around what you're supposed to be experiencing isn't, isn't, isn't dialed in. And you know, Roger, being afraid to fail is pretty much the same emotion as wanting to succeed too bad, you know? Yeah. It's easy to kind of toggle between the two. But you've said, Roger, like you quit the game for, what, seven years, you said? Yeah. I feel like this is a really unique opportunity for our listeners to hear, you know, what you were experiencing mentally in that state to make you not touch a club for seven years versus now you have a very peaceful, fulfilling experience. Talk about the differences mentally and how you are detaching from results now. Cause a lot of people it's, we'll say easier said than done. Yeah. Um, so talk about those differences. Cause I think that's huge. I think that the pressure that I put on myself just because you think that the goal of golf is to shoot a score. Like, you know what I mean? Like you, when you, when you plan, you think that the whole goal is like to put this score up and that score is me. And it's like, that score is just a snapshot of your current, you know, level of proficiency relative to these conditions on this day after you got this amount of sleep or when you have these things on your brain. And it's just like, the score just started to mean a lot less. And I found that I've had rounds where I've shot high scores lately where I could really lean back into a couple shots that I hit that really made me feel good about an entire day because it was like, man, like, look how my intention and outcome lined up there. That was like a beautiful thing. 
Like yeah. to, to really, you know, people say like a well-struck golf shot is like the best feeling in golf. But to me, the best feeling in golf is like literally, you know, seeing a shot start to finish and literally creating that exact thing in the real world. It's like the ownership that you feel in that moment, the empowerment that you feel in that moment is like, damn, you know, and that give you the confidence to say like, I'm going to have this type of day. This is how this deal is about to go, you know, or this is how this relationship is about to go. I think that like figuring out a healthy way for me to connect with the sport and look for the right things out of the game, you know, this, the score didn't mean as much. I put up good scores more recently or in the last like however many years, but I find that even when I'm putting up good scores, the thing that's allowing that is just like the level of intention that I have over each shot and connecting those things, you know, like back to back to back. If people could just internalize that a score doesn't define them and really just take it down to the shot level and just be like, man, like how close am I getting to creating the things that I want to create and measure themselves based off of that and work towards getting to a place where they they got a, a bit more of a tight dispersion between the things they see in their head and the things they see in the real world. That's when you really start to feel, you know, in control of the game and in control of your life. So I just feel like the difference is I'm looking at golf to help me with different things. Golf used to be a measurement for me as far as like how worthy I was as an athlete, but now it's just an opportunity for me to demonstrate that like I can create things that I envision. So now if I don't do that, like it doesn't matter because I know that there's more opportunities to do it. And then, and now I enjoy the journey of getting back to a place where I'm creating what I envision, you know? I can really relate, you know, in high school because you've heard the term play golf like you were a child. Yeah. You know, but kind of like when we're really little, right? When you're nine, 10 years old, exactly. and you're not thinking at all. And you get to high school and you're playing, right? We're playing to win high school tournaments to, to get play in college, to better your swing. We all got caught up in that, your identity. And then, yeah. and, you, and then you're not, you don't even feel like you're even playing the game. It's not a it's, game anymore. It's right? so counterintuitive, man. It's very counterintuitive. One thing I think that's really important for our listeners to take away, Roger, you probably don't even, maybe you realize you did, maybe you don't. But I think what's really interesting about what you just said is you took something that is to your core extremely valued, right? Being able to create. Yeah. And so to our listeners, Roger took something that he really loves to his core, connected it to the game, and in turn, that allowed you to get really present about each shot. So a lot of people here play one shot at a time, play one shot at a time, just focus on each shot. Don't think about the results. They may not connect with that. They may not value that, yeah. right? You found a way to do that in a way that's really meaningful to you. And I connect with that too, because I'm a natural creator. I always have been come from an entrepreneurial family. And to me, being able to manifest what I envision is the most rewarding thing that there is. And right. to be able to like, think of every golf shot like that, that's really powerful stuff. I love that. Man. And this is like, it, it's, it served me at so many different levels. You know, like when I think about the work that I do as a creator, like when I pick up my camera or when I have an idea, it's like, I go through a similar pre-shot routine that I go through on a golf course. As far as like, if I have a video concept, like I've watched this video already and it's just a matter of getting the things that like I need into this piece of content, you know? And, and the interesting thing about it too, is that like, because I have such a clear vision of what I want the shot to be or what I want that piece of content to be or whatever the case it is, 
even if I don't get the shots that I want because the intention was there, the end result is like pretty serviceable. You know what I mean? And so like, I just think that the orientation of setting out to create things and going through the motions to create something very specific, it always leaves you in a, in a much better place than just, you know, just going out there and seeing what happens. Like that's never the answer, you know? So, Rob, just, it's safe to say to, in your golf pre-shot routine, visualization is a huge key for you. And you obviously uh-huh. talk about in your professional life because we've talked about that with, with coaches and players and some people visualize, some people don't know how to visualize, but there's a power to that. But, but what's the key for you? I mean, okay, so you see the way the shot goes, but talk a little bit more specific about your pre-shot routine as it relates to visualization. Bro, when I'm playing, like, obviously, like, I play a lot of casual golf now, and so, like, I, I find myself drifting away from it, right? Like, I have these spurts yeah. where I'm able to get, like, super intentional. Like, I just played in this event down in Pronghorn in Oregon. The Jones Golf Boys, man, they yeah. matched all of them. They had this event up there called the Weekender, and it was, you know, it was, it was a fun event, but it was highly competitive, though. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was a two-day shamble, and it's like the first day was best ball, second day was like total aggregate score on the shamble side, and it was like, you know, people were out there going really low. It was a lot of money on the line, stuff like that. And so then I got to actually like tap back into that, and it was just like the thing that I do really well is. Like, I don't just visualize the shot. I visualize my swing. Like, I'm able to see myself as a, like, as a spectator. And I see my body move through the motions of the swing almost to the point. And I don't know if this is just me, but when I'm doing it real well, almost to the point where I feel the things. Like, standing still, I feel the parts of my body that are engaged and, like, how they're engaged and stuff like that. Yeah. I see it. I go and take, like, a, a very deliberate rehearsal swing, like, just one swing to just like confirm those feelings. And then when I get over the ball, it's like, I don't even have to think no more. Like I saw it already. I felt it already. It's like, like this moment has already passed and now the, the rest of it is like a formality. Mm. You know what I mean? All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break and hear from one of our favorite sponsors. We'll get you right back to the show. I promise. I don't want to get burned. So guess what I'm going to be wearing? I'm going to be wearing Oars and Alps sunscreen. I use the face stick, the go stick on my face. It's great. I always have it in my bag now. It's great for reapplying. I use the SPF 50 spray with antioxidants and vitamin C for my neck, my arms, and my legs. And that was ranked the number one sunscreen by Men's Health in 2021. The Ghost Stick was the number one new product at the PGA show this year. It's the best. So go to oarsandalps.com. That's oarsandalps.com. Enter the code train, get 15% off. And while you're there, while you got the code, throw in a deodorant, throw in a face wipe, throw in eye cream, treat yourself. Okay. I'm telling you, Oars and Alps is becoming the number one brand for anything beauty or self-care related for men. They got body wash. They got deodorant. They got face wipes. They got creams. They got hair gel. They got hair clay. They've got a thickening spray. They've got all of it. I'm telling you, they email me when they're coming out with new stuff. And I'm like, oh my God, you guys are kind of like the rollback of self-care. You guys are killing it every step of the way. Every new product's incredible. So oarsandalps.com and to the code train, get yourself 15% off and get yourself a sunscreen without all those chemicals. All right, let's get back to the show. Standing back and actually seeing yourself. Well, who is it? Bobby Jones, sir, that said he sees his swing and then he steps into it. I forget who that was. He was pretty good. But I think uh, that's pretty That's pretty in line <laughs> with what you just said. That's a great takeaway. But you know, Roger, there was, um, I know you know Eric, Eric Lang. He's been on the show a few times and I know you were on his show. Yeah. And 
one of the things we talked to him about his last time on, which was what a few months ago, Sarum, yeah, was I don't know if you guys ever talked about this or if you saw this, but Eric basically went into a round accepting that every shot had already been hit. So he was playing a round of fate that even if he was trying to fix stuff, he would have already done that to achieve the result he would have gotten. So all he's doing is basically swinging, going to find the ball, swinging again, because it's already happened. So it's just about, it's a revealing exercise versus a Mm -hmm. control or a playing exercise. And he shot, I forget what it was, like four under par or something. He had never shot under par in his life. And he's never, at least then, he hadn't done it since. So it's interesting. It's kind of similar in the sense that you've already accepted that it's happened. Right. Now let's just see what happens. That's on a more like macro scale, like accepting that the round has already been played before. (laughs) Yeah. That's like, that tripped me out a little bit. Yeah. But what in the inception is going on right now? Yeah. (laughs) It's all, it's a simulation. This isn't real anyway. I do understand like how that could alleviate some of the the, like performance anxiety that you may experience. Like it doesn't matter because whatever's going to happen already happened. So it's, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But I do like to feel that I like to feel empowered knowing that with an improved level of intention, with a very, you know, dialed in process on the front end that I can't impact the outcome to be better than it would have been had I not applied that same level of, I would never want to gravitate towards the carelessness of just saying like, oh, it happened already. Like, yeah, ah, totally. You know what I mean? Totally. I think that the reverberations of approaching something that way, how they translate into the real world, it just it serves me, you know? Like yeah. if I show up better today, I will have a better outcome. Roger, do you think, because I know one of your big things, is right, is making golf cool. Yeah. And I was curious. Making golf dope. Yeah. And dope. Right. Golf is dope. Golf right. is dope. Probably it's funny to think about how a cooler golf could make us play better in the sense that it's less stuffy, less judgmental, less pressure, less expectations. Yeah. I'm just kind of curious, how do you think making golf cool and remembering that golf is dope could lead to better results? Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. I think that, you know, first of all, when I was coming out the gate in the content space trying to talk about making golf cool it was really about making the game more appealing to people that don't see it as like a viable undertaking you know what i mean so i just wanted you to understand that golf is somewhere you can spend your time authentically as yourself and you know as long as you love respect appreciate the game you know you you adhere to some basic rules of etiquette you know so we don't infringe on other people's right to pursue happiness on a golf course you can come into this game as you are. So that was my whole orientation. And so the the thing that I've noticed, like how that's helped me as a golfer is that I already feel accepted when I step onto a golf course. Like I feel confident in who I am as a person when I step onto the golf course. And I know that my, like the score that I shoot or my play that day doesn't take away from the, all of the real world experiences that went into me showing up as this person. Essence, me being able to show up as I am frees me to not have my identity so tied into this like four hours that I'm about to spend on this golf course. And I think that the reverberations of that is like, your confidence is already there. Like, yo, I'm that dude. Like, you know, I'm a, I'm a basketball player. I'm a, I'm a rapper. I'm a football player. Like I'm accomplished and I'm bringing that same energy to this space this game can't take that from me. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. And, uh, and I think that that's like the power of it when you encourage authenticity in the game is that I think that some of the things that prevented people from that prevent people from existing at a high level in this sport or at a higher level is that they have an identity issues as soon as they pull up to the golf course. Like they like, who am I? Who do I need to be? Like, where am I? Like, you know, how can I stand? How can I walk? Where can I go? Can I go into the, the locker room? Can I do this? Can I do that? How do I order drinks? How do I? It's like all of these things that make you just question, you know, what up and down is. And, and I feel like that can't bode well for what you do when you get out on the golf course. Asking yourself, who do you need to be in this space? You tripping off the line, man. You know, and so I just I want people to come into golf feeling empowered and, and accepted and feeling confident in who they are and letting that, you know, that that kind of swagger of sorts, you know, drip over into how they play the game. That's why I think it's helped me so much, because I know that the score don't take anything away from who I am once I leave this course. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's it's just developing that sort of confidence in yourself, right? Yeah. And embracing individuality. Yeah. It's yeah. we did an episode actually with a corn fairy legend, mini tour legend, Matt Picanto, who said, and the theme of the episode was confidence is a practice. You know, I think the key of what you just said, Roger, is like you're taking confidence from everything in your life. Right. Right. Golf can't strip that away from you. Right. And I think, and I've done this so many times, especially in this event this week, where you get to this club you're not used to being. You're the guest. There's people that are scratch players, accomplished players. And suddenly when I'm with my friends in LA, I'm super confident. But when I went there, I wasn't, you know, and uh, I think a lot of people struggle with that. I think the game of golf, you're right. I've seen people not know where to step. You start acting totally unlike yourself. So I think that's, I think that's huge. Yeah. I think that that's a golden opportunity for us to bridge a lot more gaps socially, like just beyond the game. If I could get more people to show up in golf and be and exist as they are, like we all enriched by that, you know, like drop all of the pretense though. Like, you know, don't talk to me about what you think you need to talk to me about. Talk to me about what you want to talk to me about. Let's be honest with each other. Let's be honest with ourselves and, and you know, let's like bridge a lot of different gaps that we all experience, in, you know, um, like socially and, and as a world, and that's how I think the power of the game is. Like when we all out there on these individual journeys, it's the perfect time and opportunity for us to, because we have this huge thing that we all love and enjoy in common, like which is the round of golf. Like let's let's take time to celebrate our differences and you know kind of reconcile those in a, in a very authentic way. Because there's no greater space for us to do that than on a golf course in my mind. Now, Roger, we got you for a few more minutes. I gotta ask you though about your short game. It's the year of the short game on the par train and by committing yeah. you know, our, ourselves to short game listeners, because you're somebody who's a long, it was a long drive competition guy. You hit it plenty far, but you've already, you, but you told us you had to kind of figure out how to be an artist in the game. Right. Accuracy feel. I watched one of your trap videos last year. I forgot where you guys were playing, but you're just rolling putts in, you yeah. know, in front of the camera too. Your stroke looks good, but you're playing great golf and something, something has had to have clicked with your chipping and putting to allow you to shoot the score. So tell Cermac us what way it's a tell us, way. tell us what's clicked on that. And for it, cause I've, I know how we know how good you can hit it, yeah, but I the think, short uh, game is everything. I, as we I know. email Evan back. I got on the, I got a spot on the podcast and my life just 
you know, just started to take shape. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's what happens that's on the train, Roger. That's, that's what happens on the train. Yeah. No, our buddy Connor Weldon needs help with his short game too. Every time I play with him, so you know. he do. He, nah, nah, he, last time I played with him, he needed some support as well. You know what I mean? <laughs> He's but, always uh, changing butters. But go ahead. But, uh, but no, like I, I, I again, it, it it all goes back to the visualization, and I also think that like, uh, and this is just for me personally, like not hitting anything, not feeling like I'm hitting anything with my wedges is like a real big sensation for me. Understanding how to feel the weight of the club. Yep. understand and like this this tempo where I could really control where it bottoms out and how it bottoms out with my wedges like just taking the hit out of a lot of my shots has given me so much more control not saying that like I'm a phenomenal wedge player or anything like that but you know as a scratch golfer though like I just feel that the things that I've seen you know like eight or six to eight handicap you know double digit indexes struggle with when I don't try to hit the ball I'm in so much control over like what it's doing and how it's doing it, you know? And that's the same thing with putting. Man, I, I had like my best putting day. I consider myself a decent putter, but I give myself a hard time because I never practiced putting. Like if you give me like 30 minutes before a session, I'm gonna go like get my, my, my body moving because yep. I swing too hard to be out there like not warm to, to hit the ball. For me, it was just really understanding like start lines with my putting. If I just do a, a six foot chalk line drill and like maybe make 20 of them in a row or something like that, I'm solid, you know? So just get it started, see what happens, right? Yeah. But if, if you could control that start line, man, it just, it really feel like that putter is a weapon. You know what I yeah. mean? Oh yeah. Like you picking out a read and you know, Hey man, like this is, this is what we think. And this is what we did. And this was the outcome. And it, it really just, it, it moves the pressure to like your green reading skills versus you just questioning everything. Well, that's oh. offensive, right, Roger? You're ready to make anything. Whereas a lot I'm of ready. people get on the green, they don't want to three putt. Very defensive. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, need to, I need to work on some better, like, uh, you know, like lag putting drills and things like that. But the, the courses I play, they vary so much. The speed is just like, I haven't found a quick way to get acclimated to changing green speeds. But I just think that, like, the core of it is, you know, if I could roll in a straight-in six-footer, like, that, I love where I'm going to be with 12-footers, 10-footers, everything inside of that. And that is, like, a very empowering feeling to, to go into a round of golf feeling like, man, if I get the right read, it's over. You know what Look I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. If you guys aren't following Roger underscore Steel on Instagram, I don't know what you guys are doing, but follow him there for sure. Before we let you go, Roger, we ask this to every guest. Is there anything – that we talked about that you either want to reiterate to hammer home with our listeners. We always think, you know, the average 10 handicap, 15 handicap, or is there anything that we didn't cover that you think is worth saying before we sign off? I just think that like the thing that I really enjoyed that y'all helped me elaborate on is, you know, how being intentional is, is like a core part of success, understanding what your goals are with that golf ball, on every single shot and seeing that to the best of your ability before you step up there is like is a very potent way to approach success. And I think that it translates well into a way that we should approach life, being super intentional about what we want the desired outcome to be and then going out and executing and, and trying to do that in a very deliberate way. And also just like you trash though at the end of the day. Like even if even if you could, you know, do all of that all the way around the course you still trash at, at your mm -hmm. core, you know? So you always working against that. That's like a, a eternal state of being. So just don't be too hard on yourself, you know? That's it. 
Well, well Roger, um, this was awesome. Thanks so much for hopping aboard. We'll have to get you back on again. I feel like we just barely scratched the surface, but I think a lot of people are going to get a lot out of this. So thanks for hopping aboard, my man. It's good yeah. to see you. It is good to see you. Hey, man, this, hey, we'll hey, get together want, soon. Whenever we'll you want up. that smoke, baby. <laughs> hey, whenever you want that smoke, you let me know where. Okay, baby. No. <laughs> <laughs>